If you have your Bible, please, would you turn with us to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Jesus paid it all, be ye glad. Thank you, choir. Thank you, musicians. You will have, as you have probably already noted, in your worship folder, a brief outline and a note or two with respect to this morning's message. It may be of some help to you. found your place in John 17, would you pray with me, please? Our Father, we ask in Jesus' name that God the Holy Spirit would take the Word of God and speak its truth to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 17 can be visualized in terms of three concentric circles. The first circle would represent the prayer that Jesus prayed for himself in John 17, verses 1 through 5. The key word in those five verses is either glory or glorify. The second and next largest circle would be the prayer that Jesus prayed for the apostles, beginning in verse 6 and running down through verse 19. And the key word there is the word Keep. And then the largest of the three circles would represent the prayer that he prayed for the church in verses 20 through 26. And I think the um, information that you have on the little sheet there, the insert, says 20 through 20. That should be 20 through 26. And the key word there is the word one. To visualize chapter 17 in this manner helps us to get a grasp on the content of our Lord's high priestly prayer. This is the real Lord's prayer. It also teaches us a lesson about praying. And I will note again in just a moment, it may not be an easy lesson. So much of what we do is selfish. William Gladstone, the great English statesman, said, Selfishness is the greatest curse of the human race. Poet Robert Browning wrote, Man seeks his own good at the whole world's cost. These statements, I believe, accurately reflect the bent of mankind and unfortunately, Sometimes these things are true of Christians as well. And one area where I think we can see this is in our prayer life. Question or two, how much time do we pray for ourselves? I am not a soothsayer. I am not a fortune teller. But I am in my own mind persuaded that most of the time, most of the time when we go to the Lord... As Christian people, we begin and focus on praying for ourselves. Now, that's not universally and always in every instance true. But more often than not, I'm afraid that it is. When we go to the Lord in prayer, we pray first and foremost for ourselves. How much time do you spend praying for other people? As I noted, that may be a rather painful comparison for us. And even when we do pray for others, it is sometimes selfish in the manner in which we do it. Uh, Men, I don't mean to pick on you, but have you ever prayed anything like this? Lord, help my wife to get better uh, from this little illness so she can start cooking for me again. (laughs) Now, who's that prayer for? Ultimately, that prayer is for, okay? Or maybe we've prayed something like, Lord, help my boss to become a Christian so he won't be so ill-tempered 
and hard to get along with. Who's that prayer for? Even in our praying, we can pray selfishly, talking about somebody else. Lord, help them to do something for me. That's a, that's a prayer for me. It's only incidentally for the first party mentioned there. Now, it is significant to note, Jesus did pray for himself. John 17, the first five verses, he prayed for himself. The key word there is glorify. Glorify me with thyself. Praying to his Father. He did pray for himself. And second, he also prayed for others. Now, the thing that interests me about this in particular is that when Jesus is praying for himself, that prayer is summarized in five verses. But there are 21 verses there in which Jesus prayed for others. Sometimes our praying is selfish. It is to this second section, Christ's prayer for others, that we come this morning. And I believe there are some things in that passage of Scripture that Jesus asked his Father to do. I believe there are three in particular in verses 11 through 19. But this second section includes verses 6 through 19. The requests I'm going to focus on this morning are in verses 11 through 19. Why? Well, I believe in verses 6 through 10... It seems to me, at least, these few verses are more of an introduction to the apostles. Look at verse 6 with me, please. John 17, verse 6. I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. In ancient times, an individual's name often stood for everything that the individual was. Most of the time, it did that. Jesus had not simply told the apostles about a name. He had revealed his father's nature. He had revealed his father's being to his disciples. You remember Philip's request? We'll not turn there now, but it's in John 14. Philip said... Lord, show us the Father. Do you remember what the response was to that? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus revealed to the apostles his Father's being and his Father's nature. The Son revealed his Father. If you go back with me to verse 6 for just a moment, there are four particulars in that verse, and I'm not going to deal with them. Now, uh, but there are four particulars that we need to take note of anyway. Um, Four things about Christ's disciples. Number one, they belong to the Father. They belong to the Father. Second, the Father gave them to Jesus. Third, Jesus made known the Father to these men. And fourth, it says that they received and kept his word. And the word kept there means they observed his word. It means kept in that sense. Now, verse 9 lets us know for whom Jesus is praying, if we have missed it already. Verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now, that brings us I believe, to the first request in verses 11 and following, Jesus prays three specifics for the apostles and by application for me and for you. The first is a request for preservation. A request for preservation. Let me begin in verse 11. And I will read down through verse 15, then we'll go back and pick out some things there. Verse 11, I am no more in the world. Yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep them in thy name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are one. 
while I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 13, now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in them. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Now, I read all of that, and we'll go back and, and, and reread some of that again in, in just a moment or two as we come to these other requests. What is the nature of this first request? Well, it is a request for preservation. It is a request for keeping. Jesus is praying to his Father that he would, his Father would keep these men. He is committing them to, to the Father. That's the nature of the request. It is for safekeeping for the apostles, for the eleven, that the Father's eye always be over these eleven. You know, we're living in days when we are security conscious, aren't we? We, we have to be. Very few homes are built anymore that do not have an internal built-in security system. From time to time, we here at church are reminded that most of the automobiles today have a security system because one will inadvertently go off in the parking lot. We'll wonder, what in the world is going on out in the parking lot? Somebody's security system has gone off. Businesses all have some type of security system. We are living in a security age or an age when uh, protection is thought of often. Have you ever had your security system fail? Power goes off. Someone circumvents the system and it doesn't work. But there is a spiritual security system that never fails and it is found in the Father's keeping power. And that's what Jesus is praying for. Father, keep these. The hymn writer was right. Once in a while we sing it. It's a grand old hymn. Words go like, More secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. To me it is also striking that uh, in these petitions they refer to spiritual things. I won't take the time to apply it, but, but how much time do we spend praying, praying about physical, material stuff? Our Lord's prayer for these disciples had to do with spiritual things. He doesn't pray for them honors from the world. He doesn't pray for them uh, worldly accoutrements. He doesn't pray for them riches or preferments. He prays that they might be kept. By the Father in an evil world, kept from Satan, and ultimately brought safely to heaven. That's what Jesus was praying. That's the nature of his prayer. Well, what about the need for this? Well, I've already anticipated the need for this prayer for safety. If you'll notice, verse 11a, first part of the verse, and I am no more in the world. Drop down to verse 13. Now I come to thee. He was leaving, and they needed, and he wanted for them the protection, the safekeeping of his father. There's a second aspect to the nature, excuse me, to the, to the need for this, this request, and that is, if you would notice in verse 14, I have given them my word, and the world has hated them. They are being left in a hostile environment. They're being left in the world. Uh, the Lord Jesus is leaving. He's going back to his Father. He's leaving his disciples, his, his apostles, in a hostile environment. And verse 15 offers an even more ominous note, I believe. 
I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. The world hates them, and the evil one is in the world. And that indicates the need for this request. The nature, safekeeping. The need, the, the, the son is leaving, and he's leaving these men in a hostile world, and the world hates them. You know, the, the safekeeping of the Lord's people is one of the major themes of the Old Testament. I pondered over reading a half a dozen passages, but decided that time wouldn't allow that, but I do want to read one. And if you want to keep your place in John 17 and turn back with me to uh, Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Just a few verses, Psalm 121, beginning at verse 3, 121, verse 3. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. And there are, I looked at a a number of other passages. I believe that Jesus in John 17 uh, was drawing on these things that were going through his mind out of the Old Testament. About the keeping of the Father over his children. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He will guard you. And may I say to you, that's true today. That's true today. While Jesus was present, he had been their guardian. He had been the one who watched over them. He had been the one who protected them. And now Jesus is leaving and he's committing these men to his father to watch over them and to keep them safe. Is there any way the apostles could have been any safer? No. Sure, there was danger. Sure, they were in a hostile environment. Sure, the world hated them. But the one keeping them from danger was greater than the danger itself. Don't we forget that sometimes? We encounter something and it's frightening. And there are things in the hostile world that do cause fright. But isn't the one who resides in us greater than that? which frightens. The Father still watches over his own. That's the first request. The second request is found in verse 13. It it is for joy. Jesus requested joy. I think there are people who, who, who wonder about that. Um, there is a strain about today, and, it, and it's not new. It's been around for as long as I can remember. Uh, people who think Christianity ought to be somber. I don't believe that. John 17, verse 13. Now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy. But that's not all that he says. Look at it. In verse 13, they may have my joy made full in them. Not a, uh, not a few ounces of joy, not a smile once in a while, but my joy made full in them. That's what Jesus wants for those who know him. This marks 
The seventh time, that's, that's another reason I think it's important. This marks the seventh time in the Upper Room Discourse that Jesus has referred to joy. <coughs> and in light of that, it doesn't seem to me to be an overstatement to say that Jesus has a deep concern and a care that those who belong to him be found joyful. I mean, how many times does Jesus have to say something? How many times does the Bible have to say something for it to really count? Well, I think only one, and I know you do too. But this is the seventh time he refers to joy in this upper room discourse. Seventh time. It is not an overstatement. Jesus wants his people to be joyful. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce is with the Lord today. For a lot of years, he was pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Perhaps you have some of the books that he has written. A wonderful, wonderful author, great preacher. Dr. Boyce always referred to the New Testament as a book of joy. And until I read that, I don't know that I had ever referred to the New Testament as a book of joy. That's just one of my failings. But it is. The New Testament is a book of joy. Just remember a few of the occurrences of this word joy. You remember the angelic announcement to the shepherds? Behold, I bring you a tiny bit of happiness. Behold, I bring you great joy, which shall be to a few people. No. Behold, I bring you great joy, which shall be to all people. What's that based on? Well, the rest of that says the Savior. For unto you is born a Savior. I bring you great joy in Him. Then Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Jesus says, I want my joy to be in you, and I want it to be full. In Acts and in the book of James, we find that people greet one another with the words, Joy be to you. Ever greeted anybody with that? You see them? We got some other. Sorry your football team lost yesterday or whatever. How about greeting one another with joy be to you? And then Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. The notes of joy ring triumphantly across all the pages of the New Testament. It is a joy, joyful book. It is a book of joy. One old saint wrote these words. There is no virtue in the Christian life which is not made more radiant with joy. There is no circumstance and no occasion which is not illumined with joy. And then he went on to say, a joyless life is not a Christian life. That's a mouthful. A joyless life is not a Christian life. He goes on, for the joy is the one constant in the recipe for the Christian life. Joy is the one constant in the recipe for Christian living. You know... When I grew up as a kid, and I'm sure a lot of you did also, uh, it was called a primary department in those days, and we were taught a little chorus. I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And then all of us looked forward to what was next, because after that we all shouted, where? Remember that? Any of you do that? You know, sometimes today I feel like shouting, where? Where? Where's the joy? We're worried about the election. 
We're worried about HB2. We're worried about, you know, paying for gas now that the, the colonial pipeline has ruptured. We're worried about a lot of things. Where? Here's the joy. The angels spoke of bringing good tidings of great joy. And that referred to the coming of Christ. If possible, I'm not sure that he's, but if possible, his resurrection only adds to the joy. But you know, here in this life on this earth, so often the case is there are sour looks, long faces, and other manifestations of a fundamental inner misery. And I'm talking about Christian people. What a sad confession. We ought to be ashamed of being gloomy. Now, because I know that none of you wants to remain in a gloomy condition, if this has found you that way this morning. Look at verse 13. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in, my, in the world, that they may have my joy made full in them. Look at that, would you please? These things, again, and these things which I speak in the world, that they may have joy made full. You see what that's, you know where I'm going, don't you? What Jesus says is the basis for joy. What Jesus said is the basis for joy. It's amazing how many times in the Bible joy is associated with the Word of God. The psalmist wrote, Thy statutes, or excuse me, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The statutes of the Lord bring joy. The psalmist also said, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies. And Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might be in you. Joy, listen to me, joy is found in a knowledge of the Word of God. We look for joy in the wrong places. Again, I say, joy, Jesus' joy, the joy that He wanted us to have is found in the Word of God. And I believe Though difficult, he wants us to be joyful, no matter what the circumstances. Is that easy? Pastors, can you do that? No, not always. Jesus, I believe, wants us to be joyful, no matter what the circumstances. May I share with you two illustrations? At least one of them I know I have shared with you in the past. C.T. Studd was a well-known missionary to Africa. Mrs. Studd was an invalid and could not go with her husband when he returned to Africa on what proved to be his last time. As he left, she knew she would probably never see him on this earth alive again. She knew that she might face years of loneliness but she did not complain. When she saw her husband go, she said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And she knew that, knowing that, knowing that there might be years of loneliness which took place. She was able to rejoice in the Lord in spite of the circumstances.
Second illustration, Fanny Crosby, writer of so many of our favorite hymns. She went blind. She lost her sight when she was five years old. Frances Jane Crosby lived until she was 95 years old. Ninety years of darkness. Listen to what she wrote. Oh, what a happy soul am I. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I shall be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep, to sigh, because I am blind, I cannot and I won't. And her music reflects that she didn't. She didn't weep, cry. Both of them enjoyed the joy of the Lord in spite of their circumstances. And that's what Jesus is praying about. By the way, that word circumstance is an interesting word. It comes from two Latin words, okay? Circum, which means around, and stare, meaning stand. The things that stand around us, circumstances. And often circumstances are unpleasant, are they not? Paul said... Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us is greater than the things standing around us. Is he not? He's greater than the circumstances. They are external. Christ in you. He is internal. And he is the source of joy. That's the secret. And that's what the Lord wanted for you and for me. I wonder. Have you allowed someone or something to rob you of your joy this morning? I spoke with someone yesterday. Pastor, I just can't come to church. It's just too much. The circumstances were just too much for that individual. I suspect that we all feel like that from time to time. And if that's the case, we need to get a hold of two things. Number one, Jesus said that his word brings joy. He didn't say circumstances. He said, his word brings joy. And then King David prayed, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Maybe that somebody here in this room this morning needs to pray that prayer. Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He'll do that. He'll do that. There's a third request. Preservation, joy, third, verse 17. Verse 17 says, Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Well, we're in trouble now, aren't we? One of those Bible words that we don't know what it's all about. Sanctify them. What does it mean to sanctify? Sometimes I, th- I think I get the impression from reading and, and just talking to folks that people think it's something of a religious deworming process. Some process that helps us to cultivate a state in which we can just look holy and cultivate and, and, and uh, uh, polish our halo. Some state we get to where we aren't really bothered by any of the cares of this life. Is that what sanctification is all about? No. No, it isn't. The word sanctify may mean two things. It may mean to make holy, or it may mean to set apart for service. Two favorite illustrations of mine. 
in an attempt to try to show that sanctification is not something that we have a hard time understanding. All of us in this room understand what it means to sanctify something. I venture to say that there's not a lady within the sound of my voice who doesn't have special dishes that are just for company. You let me walk past, uh, uh, we got several cabinets in our kitchen, you let me walk past there and start to pick up a cup out of that those cabinets to get a cup of coffee. Whoop, no, 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 wrong cup. Those are, though she doesn't use the word, but I know what she means. Those aren't for everyday stuff, buddy. Put it back. Why? Because they're sanctified. They're set apart for somebody else's use. And then my other favorite illustration here, we all have something else in our homes that are sanctified. You know what it is, don't you? Towels. You have company towels in your house? Man, we do. We were going to have company a couple of weeks ago. And uh, once in a while, my wife uh, enlists my support to take stuff upstairs. The steps are kind of hard. And, and so she said, would you mind taking the right towels? <laughs> the right towels? Upstairs, putting them in the bedroom. You know what the right towels are? They're the big, fluffy, thirsty towels. Take them upstairs. I go to get in the shower, and I get a towel that's about as absorbent as a piece of linoleum. Don't tell me we don't understand the concept of being sanctified. It means set apart for a particular use. We know that. Jesus is praying that his men might be set apart for his service. How are they sanctified? Verse 17 tells us it's through the word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. If we get away from the word of God, there is no sanctification. There's only human opinion and subjectivity. And it will invert, invariably lead us astray. Getting away from spending regular time in God's word will allow the world to move in. And what is the motivation for this? Verse 18. As thou didst send me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Just in the same fashion that the Father sent the Son into the world, the Son has sent his people, his men, into the world. It is the mission of the church. It is my mission. It is your mission to go into the world. Jesus continues his work through the body of believers. I was speaking with our chairman of the board deacons a week or so back. and He said, uh, somebody had said to him, we don't have all of the uh, visitor signs taken outside. Uh, on, 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 I think on that end of the parking lot over there. Not all of them are being used on a regular basis. And I loved his response. I don't know who said that to him or whatever, but he said, well, go get some. <laughs> I love that. You know? Nobody using the visitor spot? Go get some. I'm afraid, honestly, that the church today is more isolated than it has ever been in all of our history. Some pulpits even encourage withdrawal from the world under the guise of being separate from the world. And so Christians sometimes arrange their lives to be as little as possible with unbelievers. By the way, It isn't all that unusual if you read through the Old Testament. Moses got tired of it. And he said in uh, Numbers 11, please kill me at once. He was tired of the people 
doing what they were doing, the children of Israel. Kill me at once. Relieve me. Take me out of this. Well, he wasn't the only one. Elijah and Jonah said almost the same things. Want to be relieved from being in this world. And Christian people take up that attitude. Whether they know it or not, it is an attitude that comes out of the Old Testament. Take me out of this world. I don't want to do this. One man wrote, Today it is possible to go from womb to tomb in a hermetically sealed container decorated with fish stickers and abandon the culture to the devil. That's not what Jesus prayed for. He didn't pray for, Father, keep them from the world. Don't let them interact with the world. Nor did he pray for an amalgamation with the world. The church and Christian people are to go into the world as salt and light and reach the world. That's my task. That's your task to go into the world and reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're not doing that, you finish the statement. God has given us a mission. And it's not to sit back, be comfortable, and be at ease in Zion. Uh, The nation Israel got to a place where they were accused of being at ease in Zion. They didn't do anything. What are we doing? To be salt and light. To teach somebody about Jesus. And somebody says, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. Listen, may I tell you something? There's a whole world of people outside this parking lot that knows less about God, Jesus, and His Word than you do. There's a whole world of people like that. My encouragement to you this morning is find them and teach them. We have a mission. We need to be in the Word so we are set apart to Him for His use and then be about our Father's business. Jesus prayed this for his disciples. Preservation, joy, sanctification. He asked the Father, keep them. Give them joy. Consecrate them. I close with just a question. I hope you will think about it. Is Jesus' prayer being answered in you? Let's pray. Our Father... You know our hearts, you know our beings, you know our souls, and you know about the answer that we have given in our hearts to that question, is Jesus' prayer being answered in my life? We know that the Father is keeping us. What about joy? Are we joyful? Are we glum and sourpussed? Are we winsome enough so that somebody would want to know, well, I don't know what they're doing they're so happy about. They have a joy that I don't have. 
Do we have that kind of joy? Are we set apart for the Father's use or have we become simply an extension of the world? Loving what it loves and doing what it does. I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts about these matters. Some of us in this room this morning, I am persuaded with all of my soul, need to get right with you. Only you can move people to do that and it be genuine. I pray that you would do just that. Ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake, for his glory, for our good. Amen. Jesus paid it all. Number 210 in your hymnal. Found your place in your hymnal, number 210. Would you stand with us, please? I'm not going to draw out singing all the verses this morning. I want to say this at this point, however, and then we're going to sing one more verse. I was very sincere in what I said. I believe there's some of us in this room this morning need to get right with God. Based on the text... I wonder, do we have that joy? I've raised that question four, five, six, seven times. Do we have the joy of the Lord that radiates from us that causes somebody else to want to know what have they got that I don't have? Or are we glum, long-faced, sourpussed? Where are we, folks? I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Whether you need to get right with God and you do it where you sit, that's up to you. I'll meet you here if you want to come forward. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's no better day than today. You heard the song. That was sung. He gave his life. And we're singing now. Jesus paid it all. His life for mine. He took my burden. He took my sin. He took your burden. He took your sin upon himself. He died for you. He loves you. You need to do business with the Lord. Whether you do it. At the altar or at your seat, do business with the Lord if he's speaking to your heart. David, let's sing the last stanza, please. Leave the Lord's house rejoicing. You are the only people, along with other Christians, who have any right to rejoice and be happy about anything. My friends, people who don't know the Lord as their Savior have got nothing to be happy about. world's going to hell in a handbasket quickly Jesus died for us he died for you 
Trust Him. Not your own strength, not yourself, not your job, not the fact that your granddaddy was a a tenor preacher. Trust Jesus. He saves us and He gives us peace and He gives us joy. We've got a right to rejoice. Phil Stevenson is our deacon of the day. Phil, if you'll pray for us, remembering our folks, quite a number of them, 80 of them, I think, or 85, whatever, um, that are coming back from uh, Teen Valley this afternoon. Pray for them, and as well as our other mission of the day, and for one another. Rejoice. When we sing, God be with you till we meet again. Emphasis, God be with you. Phil, pray for us, please. If you would pray for, pray with me. Father in heaven, you are holy, holy, holy. You are the Lord God Almighty, Father. We thank you. We thank you for all you've done for us, Lord. We thank you for the many blessings that you've given us. Lord, we are reminded of your word and that word that became flesh, Lord, and dwelt among us, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for Jesus that he came and revealed you to us, Lord, and that he saved us from our sins, Lord, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you. We do have so much to be joyous for, Lord, and especially for Jesus, to thank that what he has saved us from. Father, we thank you for our mission of the week, friends of Israel, Lord. We just pray for that mission, Lord. We just pray for their their needs to be met financially, Lord. And I say their mission, Lord, to reach the, the Jewish people, Father. Without the Jews, we would not have Jesus. Father, we thank you for them. We thank you for them. We thank you for adopting us into that family, Lord, that we now are children of God, Lord. And and just to think that we are children of the King, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we just lift up those that are at Teen Valley, Lord, as there are probably some starting to come home at, at this time, Lord. We just pray for travel mercies uh, for them, Lord, as they return. Father, we lift up those that are in our church family that are sick and have been suffering, Lord. We just pray for your mercy on, on them. Father, we thank you. We love you. We give you the honor and glory for everything that you have done for us, Lord. You are the one from, from whom all blessings flow. And we ask this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Amen.